0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, I have a, a, a prayer that i brought in. That if I'm ever the officiant when we do morning prayer, I often use this one before we say the blessing because uh, I just love the language of it. Um, And I think it relates, I brought it in because I think it relates today with what I want to say about discipleship. And so this is called a prayer of self-dedication. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to Thee, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly thine, utterly dedicated unto thee. And then use us, we pray thee, as thou wilt, and always to thy glory and the welfare of thy people through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today the, uh, the topic uh, is discipleship. Um, I'd asked Cameron Cole to come in and talk to you about it, but uh, there was a conflict. um, But I was glad to take it over because it is a topic that I think a lot about, and um, I've been talking about around here a lot lately. And it's uh, we use the the language, the word discipleship, and the I I don't want to say I I don't like saying new vision of the Advent because if any of you were involved or if you've read it, you can see like it's it's not really anything new. It's just a a clarification um, it's a um, sort of doubling down I guess on some distinctives but with the vision we said and uh, there's an identity statement about what the Advent is and then there's a purpose statement that goes with it and it says we exist to proclaim the gospel uh, as a freeing power of God's grace through Jesus Christ I think is the language and to make disciples wherever God has placed us. So just in the purpose statement of two primary things that we're really interested in, and everything kind of flows out of that, is is gospel proclamation and related to it, uh, making of disciples. And one of the six tenets uh, or priorities was discipleship uh, to clarify what that means exactly. Now, I say all that, uh, and before I take a look at some scripture with you, I just wrote an Adventurer word cover letter, um, the Adventurer newsletter. Do you all get that? If you don't, by the way, uh, let Fontaine know and we can have it sent to you. But the one for next week about this idea and how increasingly I'm aware, uh, especially I think maybe here in the South, that discipleship is a trigger word for people. It might not be for you, but it is for a lot of people. What do I mean by that? They've had bad experiences in church life where that word has been associated with a bad experience. And now they recoil. Um, Do you know anybody like this? Or maybe this is true for you. There are others. Um, For example, when I was going to seminary, I went to uh, Yale Divinity School. A trigger word for people at a place like Yale was father, like God the father. And so people avoided talking to God about God or to God as father because of there are a lot of terrible fathers out there right in the world and and this was sort of some of the language and I uh, I got an argument I said some people have really bad experiences with their mothers too and so you've got to be careful about switching the language around but the bible Jesus refers to God as God the father right and it's throughout the bible so we've got to reconcile the um, the understanding of what the bible wants us to know about who God is and um what his people are called to be, and, and to own it. So what I'm saying is for something like discipleship, which is similar to what I was saying about God the Father for some people, um, not to come up with some other language for it. And, and acknowledge that uh, there are people who've been not just uh, burned, but really injured uh, by the church. And it's sort of a miracle that there's... So Still faithful people coming to churches, and then we start talking about discipleship, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid of what this means, you know." Um, and so, so uh, today I want to talk about discipleship, and as we were talking about sacraments last week, what does the Bible say about discipleship? And by the way, discipleship, again, like sacraments last week, the word discipleship is not in the Bible, but but disciple is, right? Um, but so, but the concept of discipleship is throughout the New Testament. I'd even argue in the Old Testament. So, what am I talking about? I've got uh, a handout, uh, and there should be plenty. So, if if each individual wants to take one this time, uh, go ahead. Of course, the um, the classic. Um, scripture reference that people will allude to in terms of uh, discipleship and making uh, disciples uh, is uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 28 at the very end of Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, right, as we call it, where uh, Jesus, before after his resurrection and before ascending into heaven, says to uh, his disciples, uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, <clears throat> and just uh, two, two people that um, I've engaged with a lot on this topic are uh, from Australia named Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. This is from two different or various sources of them that I've paraphrased and put together of a a definition that they use to define disciple and discipleship. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and in faith. To be a disciple is to be a slave of Christ and to confess his name before others. So what I'm after here today is to say to you that there is no difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. Um, they're one and the same. It's uh, it's uh, it's different words for the same term, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, and it's help. It's I guess when we're talking about disi- being a disciple and being in discipleship, it helps us to think about what being a Christian is. But they're basically saying the same thing, as you'll see, as you've seen from the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't say now go make nominal Christians of all people, right? He says go mm-hmm. make. Disciples. Um, he's really interested in what it means uh, to uh, to be a follower of Jesus, not a label like Christian or whatever, or even believer, but disciple. And uh, here's a, a helpful definition from these two guys about what this kind of looks like. So, so just uh, just uh, some going down the page a little bit. Uh, disciple is uh, from the Greek "methetes" is the the word. Um, you don't need to commit that to memory, but just so you see that it's it's throughout the New Testament. I mean, often, I mean, mostly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in Acts as well. And uh, basically, the definition of that word is a learner, a pupil, or an uh, apprentice or follower. And uh, you can see, for example, that it's used not just for for Jesus' disciples, but the word methetes is used in the New Testament to refer to... Uh, John the Baptist's disciples. He had, uh, you know, he had learners, pupils, apprentices, and followers of himself. and there's also a uh, reference to the Pharisees disciples. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we can also just think about uh, how the disciples refer to Jesus on occasion as Rabbi as a, as a teacher, uh, that there's someone that he's someone from whom they're learning. but it's not in the way that like I'm standing in front of you, uh, in a classroom environment where you are listening to a lecture it's it's more robust than that right it's, it's the the closest thing i can think of is why i added the word apprentice there is you know someone who is learning a craft or a trade and spends their every waking hour around a, a master of a trade um, to become just like them in uh, in that trade, that, to learn everything that they can from this person, right? And actually, that's kind of that's sort of left uh, American and Western culture. Um, we're used to learning more in the kind of classroom context, but I think it's talking more like in terms of following someone around. <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, here I put the biblical definition. You can see where Christ Himself talks about this. Uh, This is basically the same reference in two different Gospels with a little bit different nuance, where in Matthew he says a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And then in Luke he says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, uh, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So you see that the the, the discipleship is learnership, um, or another way to think about it is, followership or apprenticeship Uh, and here are just some other uh, references there in terms of that that following idea of walking with Jesus um, from Mark and as he reclined at table in his house many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him uh, constantly following him around wherever he went Uh, and then this is interesting and Matthew's gospel, talking about these same people, he says, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers." Uh, when he's uh, talking about his own family, he says, "You know, who are my mother and brothers? It's these people who are following me around and learning from me?" There's a there's a there's a relationship that's almost fami- It gets almost familial because it's that close. Maybe you've had someone like this before. In your life where you've been able to be that person for someone um, in Europe if somebody is getting a, a doctorate a PhD like in Germany they call their mentor uh, the the PhD student calls their mentor their their what is it their doctor father I think uh, because it's for three or four years they're being a disciple of that person um, and and when I was I ended up dropping out of my PhD program, but when I was going to get a PhD, my mentor told me, you know, when you go to undergrad, uh, this is when I was applying to work with him. He said, when you go to undergrad, you apply to a school. I mean, this is broad strokes, but it was helpful. When you apply to a graduate school for a master's degree, you apply to a program. When you apply to a PhD, you find a mentor, a scholar. Uh, so it's it's kind of like that, right? Uh, and then here from John, uh, that's an unfortunate number, 666. Uh, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So sometimes he says crazy outlandish things like chew on my flesh, right? And then they, they, they're like, we can't walk with you anymore. Uh, this is going too far. Uh, but you see, it's a, the idea of Following. And then I've put some references here for um, the the concept of discipleship in the Old Testament, if you're interested. So that's all definition of terms. Let's go to pages two and three, where there are two topics that I really want to talk to you about today when it comes to discipleship. Well, maybe we'll be able to kind of roll our sleeves up with this stuff on page two and just briefly glance at page three is the idea of the cost of discipleship. And remember, disciple means being a Christian. So really you're talking about the cost of being a Christian and thinking about discipleship as martyrdom. Now, martyr in the Greek meant witness, and it just it rolled into the idea that so many witnesses for Christ ended up dying for their faith, that the term uh, martyr was conflated with the idea of people who died for their faith. That's not what it originally meant, although that's the way we think of it now. What basically martyr means is somebody who's willing to, at all costs, bear witness to their faith, even at the pain of death. And so you see that here where Christ talks about it uh, in this uh, Matthew 10 passage. Could I just, so I'm not talking the whole time, could I get three volunteers to read each of those paragraphs there? Somebody to read the first one. Tommy, thanks. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flogging in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them of their house. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flees to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. Someone else read that second paragraph? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house beasal, how much more will they malign those of his household? And someone for paragraph 3. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that you, that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be met. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever (coughs) acknowledges me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. You know, these are... um some interesting cross references that basically the same thing say the same thing. There's a longer section in uh, Luke chapter 14, but especially try your attention to verse 27 where he says, "Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." And then again from Luke chapter 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." And Jesus said to him, "Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." I love, I'm just going to steal Mark's phrase. Let's pat this around a little bit, uh, as Mark said, right? Um, you know, what do you think about this stuff? Um, what is the picture that Jesus Christ himself gives of discipleship, of being a disciple? Here we see in both Luke and Matthew. So strong words. Pretty strong words. How so? <laughs> 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 yeah, but yeah, Pretty strong. Words. Yeah, how so, everybody? <laughs> Makes you very uncomfortable. Maybe, yeah. It's a high yeah. Standard. Sure. I mean, who you look back? Right, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like Lot's wife. It's it kind of <laughs> I believe help Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's an assumption will be an enmity with the world system. Yeah. As it exists. Yeah, that's a huge point, yeah. I mean, that's the major emphasis here. And those who we'll be at enmity with might be as intimate as our own family members and um, close friends who uh, will see us as strange um, for following Jesus. Um, hey, welcome. Any other things you notice here? That's a really good point. um, That I like that. Um, Within reason, uh, what do I want to say? This is similar to where he says, uh, you know, if you go and you try to share the gospel with some folks, try again. But then if they don't listen to you, shake the dust off your sandal and walk away. Um, You know, that's more like that's kind of like good stewardship of your time and resources. Like, you're you're basically this is a lost cause, you know. Um, uh, And he himself did that when he went to Nazareth. Uh, And uh, nobody wanted to hear what he had to say because he was Joseph's son. Um, And so moved on to the next town. Um, There's a check on modern missions philosophy. Yeah, it is. Well, and there was a huge argument about this in the English Reformation under uh, Queen Mary's rule where some stayed and were martyred and were viewed as sort of escalated Christians. But then there were some who left to the continent and ended up studying under... um, Continental reformers, and then coming back to England, uh, and they really had to deal with this. Like that, that's okay. Like, um, and some some of those left to the continent were followed and were killed, like Tyndale, right? Um, I mean, so so it's not always an escape hatch, but um, for the sake of discipleship, sometimes it's worth. Uh, um, trying to save one's life for the, for the sake of proclamation of the gospel. There are some uh, folks who are being converted uh, to the faith in, in Africa. Bethany Rushing, our missions director, just went over there on a trip, and she said there are some who, who, uh, who want to <coughs> stay alive, not to preserve themselves, but so that the gospel might continue to be proclaimed. This is like Acts chapter 4, I think it is, where the disciples um are being persecuted and where they pray for um not their own preservation isn't that interesting they're being persecuted and they say they're not they're not praying for provision and preservation in the sense of bodily uh, keeping us from bodily harm from bodily harm what do they pray for do you remember acts chapter four that we might boldly proclaim the gospel. That we might continue in the face of persecution to boldly proclaim the gospel. Um, and uh, so this is the, the the context. It's hard. It's really difficult for us to, to to wrap our minds around in what we think is a fairly Christianized society. Um, but there's there are people s- still to this day in other parts of the world who are really experiencing this. And here's where people think I'm crazy. I think we're headed in this direction. I think, and I don't see this to be an alarmist. Again, I think that the United States is actually, in in, in at least my lifetime, uh, I will see it. Um, unless the Lord returns a second time or there is a, a revival movement, it will take one or the other um, to stem the tide uh, towards um, that, that sort of... And we might not see people killed for their faith, but we'll definitely see them... Um, uh, it's it's gonna, life will become difficult, I think, um, for folks who, who do truly believe this stuff. So that's the cost of, of discipleship. And as you see in these passages, part of being a disciple, part of being a Christian, part of being a follower, part of being an apprentice of Christ is, 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 is speaking the good news, of proclaiming the gospel. And I think that this is a really important point because often we think of the, the experts, the minister, the paid clergy staff or whatever, as the ones who do the proclaiming. The Bible doesn't speak on those terms. Jesus doesn't say that. He's saying, all, you know, all disciples, make, make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and they're the ones who, who are the, the movement of people around the world who are speaking the gospel. There might be some particular individuals who have an office of, of leader um, who, who are teachers, who really kind of make a, a profession out of the stuff but being a disciple inherently means um, also being one who speaks the gospel. So that's what's kind of captured on page three there as disciples disciples as partners in the, quote, work of the Lord. Uh, and that's both of those ideas come from 1 Corinthians and Philippians, where in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the work of the Lord in this way, and then Paul, and then in Philippians, We often remember the idea of joy and rejoicing in Philippians. But another big idea there that's a little more overarching, actually, is the idea that the Philippian church were partners in ministry with Paul. Uh, It's a letter about partnership that flows out of this rejoicing, that flows out of the joy. Um, And so let's take a look at some bits from these two letters where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he says that to all of them. And then when speaking about Timothy, who is an elder, he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So Paul and Timothy are doing the work of the Lord, but Paul's also assuming that the Corinthians are doing the work of the Lord. Um, It's not just the Pauls and Timothys of the world, but the church. And then in Philippians, I thank my God... In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you uh, all making uh, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Again, still in the background of both of these things, um, an assumption that there are opponents to the gospel, that there are people who reject this message, and standing firm uh, despite that, side by side as partners together for the sake of the gospel. That's what being a disciple means. Uh, and then here again in Romans 10, when he's talking about. Um, Uh, Israel, the Jews, but still this is generally, I think, applicable to all of life. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And it's easy for us to read a passage like that and think of preachers preaching from the pulpit. But again, I don't think that's necessarily what Paul's talking about. I think he's talking about preaching the gospel all the stinking time. (laughs) I mean, the the pulpit's one environment for that. And it's a powerful one that reaches a lot of people. Uh, But uh, there are pulpits of everyday life. Um, And and here, Christ himself, uh, when speaking of this, says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. These laborers should be uh, co-workers for the sake of the gospel, not just the professional. But all the, the, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Come on, we need all hands on deck, really. You know, I mean, in order to... Um, to do the work of this ministry. And then uh, finally, thinking of, uh, uh, apply all of this that we're talking about to Sunday. What should be happening on Sunday? Um, The the gospel shouldn't be preached just from that pulpit on Sunday. That what happens on Sunday, and that's true, as Andrew likes to quote, uh, there's a um, a Beeson professor uh, Robert Smith, is that right? The preaching professor who says, I preach so that you'll preach. We're running out of time. That's the Methodist bell. Um, <laughs> uh, I preach so that you'll preach, right? But even on Sunday, we shouldn't just hear the gospel from the pulpit, but from each other. Listen to this from Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, he's not talking about just preachers. He's talking about all of us. That when we get together, we get together for the sake of encouraging. Encouraging in what? Not through trite aphorisms, but for the work, the word of the Lord. Encouraging each other with the gospel. Okay, I've said so much. There are some other passages there if you want to explore any of these things. In a, uh, uh, the next couple pages are some... Things, if you want to read more from the Bible or elsewhere, and I put in, uh, it might be a stretch, but the one article of religion on the church, I'll just highlight that real quickly where it says from the 39 articles, the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached. And again, I think that means not just from the pulpit, but the pure word of God is preached amongst all of us. So uh, uh, being a disciple, a follower, or an apprentice uh, of the Lord, uh, and and it's uh, the totality of our life and and what that means is being co-laborers, partners together in ministry for the sake of, again, drawing in more people, making disciples of all nations. And we cannot, we cannot depend on the clergy to do this alone. Um, that that that's uh, that's an empty set. That the um, that it's the work of all of us, not because of wagging the finger, right? Again, going back again to the sort of um, people who've been burned by this stuff in the past. This isn't about um, checking boxes and and uh, performance for the sake of itself. But again, thinking of Philippians, the being a partner in ministry, being a disciple. Flowing out of the joyfulness. I mean, hopefully this stuff is uh, an, um, an uncontrollable impulse because of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, and, and if it isn't, forget all that I'm saying and go back and and uh, and, and learn more about Jesus. <laughs> because that's you know what I'm saying. Like, because if there isn't that uncontrollable impulse, then then meditate on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Uh, uh, go back to that uh, again and again and again, and forget all i 'm saying about um, you know uh, doing the work of the Lord because maybe you 're not there yet uh, and that 's okay um, but uh, for those of us who are and really do believe this stuff um, uh, golly i mean let 's let's uh, let, let, let 's let's, let's share the love you know what i 'm saying um, let 's bat this around any uh, responses to what i 'm saying about uh, Discipleship, being a disciple, making disciples. Yeah. Can you kind of um take the picture a little bit of what discipleship looks like if you don't feel like you're called to preach? Yeah. What does discipleship look like when you're just a lay person and who's just doing the daily? What are the ways in which yeah. you can walk that? Right. Yeah. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians and Romans where there are different gifts uh, that we have and to to use them towards the work of the Lord. Um, And uh, and that's true. But we also get the sense that we all are capable, as Peter says in First Peter, you know, always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have. All of us, not just the preachers. And that is preaching. If anybody's backing you into a corner about your faith, that's preaching the gospel if, 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 you, if you respond to the, the request or respond to the hope that you have. Um, and, and yet, still an understanding that we have different gifts. And some of us are called to be prophetic. Um, I think of being ordained ministers as a prophetic office, uh, as someone who is called to, to stand up and, and to preach uh, in a more formal way. Um, But not all of us are, Um, and yet we all have within us um, the opportunity and ability to preach the gospel, maybe in more mundane ways, Uh, including, I'll I'll, I'll just draw it all the way to home. I think the place where this can start and and should start is if if any of us have children, Um, no matter what our calling in life, If we have children and are are believers, uh, we can preach the gospel probably even more effectively uh, than other people can with our children. Um, Relying simply on Sunday school or church uh, might not be enough that uh, we can uh, preach with our children. And so I I hope that's an answer that, um, yes, there are different gifts. And actually... Even uh, I think it is either Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians where Paul includes in their administration as one of the spiritual gifts that administrative work for the church is helpful for the work of the Lord, Um, that it's not to be belittled. It's just that some are called to it and some aren't. I don't think I'm called to administration. (laughs) Uh, Any other um, thoughts on discipleship? I think that's our bell now, is it? It's not loud enough. Mm-hmm. Just, just real quick, yeah. you talked about this being a trigger word. Yeah. What, what's the alternative? What, what are the things that you said? I, I think I know what you're talking about. Right. What are some of the perversions of discipleship that's burned people that you you've seen people in? You know, I, so again, this is the kind of thing, like I have very little personal experience with this. Okay, I, moralistic, you know, moralistic. Moralistic, yeah. Like like good, good works. Uh, and, you know, just stop sitting. That's, that's what it's talking about. Which isn't what... i am to stop sinning. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's not what it's that's saying that here. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I say, like, I think it's really important for us to go back to the Bible. How is yeah. the Bible talking about this? Because that's a distortion. <clears throat> uh, if there is any sort of uh, moral, um, ethical implications to this, it's because of the the uncontrollable impulse of responding to the gospel and the Holy Spirit doing work within us. It's not about, you know, manning up or womaning up to sort of, what uh, what do you call it? Um, behavior modification or whatever. Right, yeah. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, like, I you think it, um, you know, like, an accountability partner is a way that disciples, you know, people... It's one way, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, when you look at, you know, the whole, like, can't put your hand to the plow and turn back. I mean, I am like, I would like someone to help me with that, you know, but then I think, I don't, I, I can see how it gets distorted when it was intended to be an encouragement. Yeah. Like, I don't think it started. Absolutely. Like, all these discipleships. I think it started from a very sincere place of people wanting someone more mature in their faith yeah. or, I don't know, to help them, but that just even saying, like, more mature in their faith, that automatically is going to set up a, a, a system that sin can easily enter into. And just sort yeah, with everything. Um, I think the idea of accountability... That's our bell. Uh, <laughs> I think the idea of accountability came from a good place. Yeah. And, I mean, we know some accountability opportunities in life that have been successful. We have Alcoholics Anonymous here every weekday at noon, there are some folks who, who benefit from the accountability in that department, but I do know that some people have been really wounded by that concept, and it's probably through its distortion. And if, if it's not on a foundation of the stuff that Andrew's preaching about today, the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ, it's not Christianity. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? It's, uh, you might as well go to the self-help aisle at, the, uh, at Barnes & Noble. Uh, it might actually help you more. Um, But if it's on the foundation of an understanding of the good news of God through Jesus Christ for us, uh, it's a totally different story um, and and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, So that's what we're about here. Uh, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Next week, worship from Zach Hicks, right? I think that's right.